they drugged him. Why don't we call it drugs? It's pheromone. They drugged her. Yeah, but the Gilroy. Gilroy. The Gilroy. Gilroy. I found that very quickly. I am very impressed with myself. Um, Definitely not the fucking Gregory. Hey, welcome back to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan, and this is David, and I finally watched Ocean's Thirteen. And today we have returning back Taylor Evans. Hi. And then also rounding out the cast, my wife Ashley. Hi. So they, they both have also not seen the movie. Exactly. And, uh, but they have seen now Ocean's 11 and Ocean's 12. So they have full knowledge of what 13 is about. And it's not like they went in, in it blind. So, uh, so I guess starting off, um, Alon, which one of these is your favorite? Like, how do you not necessarily rank these, but how do you like see these three like together? And which is your favorite? You know, all that. You know, I think in the past when you've asked me about different sequels or trilogies and asked me which one's my favorite, I go off of like nostalgic emotional memory. Uh, and so for, for, I think for these 12 is the movie that I remember the most of 11 because it was so long ago i hardly remembered any of it and 13 i remembered exactly two scenes it was when livingston had the tack at the bottom of his shoe during the lie detector and how the night fox jumped off of the uh the bank at the end spoiler alert yeah spoiler alert. but apart from and everything else in between before and after those two scenes, um, watching again, the whole movie came as like a really nice surprise. So like nostalgic base, I would have to say 12 is my favorite just cause back from when I was a kid and I first saw it. But thinking about all three movies plot wise and how we discuss them here, I really think 11 would have to be my favorite because of how smart I felt it was. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I think, I think so. I, I think 11 is, is clearly the, like the most well done. Um, but I, I like each of them a lot. Um, I really like 13. It felt like the one with the least amount of actual stakes I kept when I was watching it thinking like, okay, they've set up Al Pacino as like this new, even harder to beat boss. And I kept expecting him to figure something out and to set them back at some point. And it never happens like not once, but, but even with that, it's still like a really highly enjoyable movie. And I think all three are, um, but I just think that 11 is kind of the most well done but I love 12 and 13 too. Uh, I, I agree with you about Al Pacino and 13. Cause I was also thinking like, you know, is he, is he going to catch up to them? You know, like five moves ahead, six moves ahead. And um, yeah, his, his character to me was kind of disappointing. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think 11 is, I don't know. It's the original. So for it to be the first idea, is kind of always the best idea. It is in my mind the smartest, but I had the most fun watching 13, honestly. 
So I actually agree with that, especially because in the beginning, they kind of tell you exactly what they're going to do with the heist. Yeah, it's still kind of like you don't really know what's going to happen. Which one are you talking about, Ashley? 13. 13. Like they, they pretty much lay out exactly how the heist is going to go. And then it, it's still kind of surprising, even though you know how it's going to go. Yeah. So, well, well they, talk, they talk, and you can get into this long, but they talk so fast. Like the, the scene with Roman Nagel, played by Eddie Izzard, like that scene where George Clooney and Brad Pitt are explaining what they need from them sets up the entire movie, but they're talking so fast because they all have like this inner knowledge of what everything means that it's, we can't keep up because they're not explaining things for the audience. They're explaining things for themselves. And so you'll hear something like, oh, that must be what they're talking about. But until you watch the whole movie and then you're like, oh no, they were, they were talking about this part of it, not this part of it. Right. And watching it back the second time, because we watched it two times this time, so watching proud. it back the second time and seeing things that they said at the beginning that we thought we knew what they were talking about. And then we're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, what was the, uh, with so, Saul? Yeah, exactly. So the second thing we were taught, we, we, uh, the second time we watched it and we caught the, um, uh, was it Saul? Yeah. So Saul was talking about a Susan B. Anthony. And yeah. yep, the reviewer. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, well, you know, this is war. There's going to be ha- have to be some collateral. And, you know, I mean, yeah, he said okay. it felt like torturing him. Yeah, well, yeah Scott, Con, Scott Con said that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the, the big line that kind of gives away how this movie is going to end is, yeah, I wouldn't go through that with 10 million, but I go through with it for 11. It's like, well, he won't even know why he won. He's like, does he have to know? And it's completely out of context. You have no idea what they're talking about. Um, but if you watch it back to back, kind of like what we did, you pick up immediately like, oh, Susan B. Anthony is like, you torture someone be- for the sake of the con, but then you give them a payout and they don't have to know what that is. Yeah, I feel like all three of these movies, really, you definitely appreciate it more the second watch because of all those little like Easter eggs they put throughout the whole beginning. But saying that, that and maybe like, very quickly seeing the Night Fox kind of early on and then that whole Andy, him working for Andy Garcia reveal. This 13 is definitely the most, I would say straightforward of the three. Yeah, I would agree with that. And maybe we can talk about this now because we someone just brought up the Night Fox, but, and I say someone not because I'm not mentioning names, but I just forgot who said it. There's so many people. Um, when I first saw the Night Fox, I thought, he was going to team up with them mm-hmm. because they sort of seemed to end on somewhat good terms. Uh, maybe not. He was pretty pissed, but I thought it would be like, he would be 13 and he would like come in at a very pivotal moment when they needed someone to dance through lasers or something. Well, what's interesting is, you know, we see him at the end of 12 in Andy Garcia's house, like cutting hedges or exterminating something. And it kind of leaves you with the feeling like, oh, he's trying to con him. He's trying to get one over on Andy. (laughs) And then for, for, I guess, the wool over our eyes is the fact that he's working for him. So I would love to see like a, like a Ocean's 12 and a half thing where he's trying to like pull off a con against Andy Garcia, but then Andy Garcia catches him and he's like, hey, hey, listen, I need you like under my like paycheck now. Like, yeah, yeah, you tried pulling that, taking whatever from me, but how would you like to come work for me? Because that's 
that must have been the way it happened because I don't know how the Night Fox would have gotten like, why why is he working for Andy Garcia of all people? It could be just for revenge against Danny Ocean, just to try and one up him again. I I guess that's true. I guess Andy Garcia. Yeah, it is the perfect person for him to team up with. And he doesn't care about the money. He cares about screwing them over. So he might not even have gone after Andy Garcia in the end. He might have been there to, in the end of Ocean 12, he might have been there to, like, hey, let's let's fuck these guys over. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's what I, I think that's what Taylor especially really liked about Ocean 13 is because they didn't, because in the first one and the second one, they did it for the money and they did it for the girl and they did it to, you know, but this one they were, it was a revenge story off of emotion. You totally stole that from me. I sh- I'm never telling him my notes ever again. <laughs> you can't. You absolutely can't. Can. Yeah. What I was saying w- to Alon about why I thought 13 was the most fun is because, yeah, they're not teaming up for the money. They're not even teaming up to get the girl, but they're teaming up because somebody screwed over their bro and they're like, fuck that guy. And I feel like that's the most um, genuine reason of the three movies. And maybe that's why I thought it was more fun. Well, I feel like it's always fun seeing Brad Pitt be one slot hit away from 30 million and then just giving it to someone. Yeah. I do also like the fact that even though, you know, 12, they brought on another person and 13, they brought on two more people. It's still like the core 11, even though they're still getting help from other people. Like Taylor said, like it is, you know, it's one of their own. A couple of my favorite scenes. One is when right after, first of all, it's hard for me to watch the Ruben thing happen because he's so confident that his contracts are like iron solid. And like, I, you know, my lawyer said I'm, I'm, I'm golden. And then to just it like, <laughs> just get threatened and have to sign over your rights. But the scene after that when they're all talking about just killing Al Pacino like is so cool to me and then uh, I love like halfway through when they like when uh, Terry forces them to steal the diamonds too and Saul's like this is why you don't do revenge because when you know you're supposed to walk away you can't and they're like well Saul does that mean you're walking away he's like no let's gut this bastard (laughs) like no I'm not walking away I just said we can't walk away (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I mean on one hand, I, I agree with you, you know, this is, they're doing it for more of a righteous reason than just for the money or to say they can, but also I feel like, I feel like what's really bothering me is Al Pacino as the villain. Cause I, like I said, 11 is my favorite plot wise. And that's because I think they made Andy Garcia such a good villain. And in 12, they try to do it again, and I think they failed. And in 13, they brought on Al Pacino, who usually is an amazing villain. And I feel like he's so toned down in this one. I, I would have loved to see him, like, behind closed doors break some fucker's legs or something, just so we get a sense of, like, oh, this guy is, like, off his, you know, mental state crazy. But we don't, we don't get that. He really underplayed his role, I felt like. The only time we get anything close is remember when there's like a flashback of them showing someone either beating, it was either roulette or blackjack and they like hit the guy's face against the table. And uh, George Clooney's like, yeah, well he was dressed kind of crazy. That's why he got caught. And they showed George Clooney with like the huge mustache and then Brad Pitt looking like he's from Miami Vice. 
Yeah. Like that's the only time, and I don't, you don't even know if that's Al Pacino's ca casino, but um, I, I, I kind of agree, but I don't, it's not because I think Al Pacino's great in this, honestly. Like I, I, I'm really glad he was the guy. Um, it's just because of the way the story's written and because as we've said with the other two and, and they're all like this, there's no stakes purposely so, like you know they're gonna be successful. Um, but in this one that like, there's absolutely, there's no setbacks, everything works. There's, uh, we can talk about it as we go through and I think we should start going through it in a minute, but there's like barely any like barriers for these guys. Like this is, this works out more perfectly than any of the other two movies. I don't know about that. I feel like almost every aspect fails and they fix well, it pretty quickly, but they do have setbacks. I think he's thinking more of like the setbacks, like, you know, nobody, like in the first movie, you know, someone breaks a hand and that's kind of like a pivotal moment. Oh no, are they gonna have to change things? And like the biggest like setback here was like, they had to buy a new drill. And like, that was just a matter of bringing someone else on the team yeah, more so than like, oh no, we have to change plans. And that's plot device too, just so Andy Garcia is part of it. So you weren't. So Taylor mentioned this earlier too, but, um, you know, when we as the audience first see the Night Fox, he's like tailing um, Scott Kahn. Yeah. Uh, but then in the flashback, in that same scene where he's tailing Scott Kahn, he is being tailed by Bernie, Bernie Mac. Mac. And do you just want to say everything in an echo, David? I mean, you struggle a lot with characters and okay. names. I just want to make sure I'm, I'm here for you. I know who Bernie Mac is, okay? Um, so he's being tailed by Bernie Mac, which Taylor points out, that means that they are following the Night Fox before they even ask Terry, uh, Terry Benedict to be on the team. Yeah, they know that the Night Fox is in on it before they even think of coming to Terry for the money. Which is kind of similar to, I didn't think about that, but that's similar to 12 mm -hmm. when they had already stolen the egg before they even were in on the game. Yeah, before they pulled the heist. Which, but again, that's why Danny Ocean is considered the best because he's literally a step ahead. There's another similarity between um, 12 and 13 that involves Terry that I really liked, which was they, they were so ahead of the Night Fox, but they pretended like there was a whole other heist, separate heist going on just to fool the night fox into thinking that this was their plan when they had already done all this other stuff and then i think it's is it don Cheadle that says no, it's i think it's bernie mac is it bernie mac? no I'm pretty sure it is one of the characters i'm pretty sure it was don Cheadle, says you don't pull the same gag twice mm -hmm. you move on to a different gag yeah and then, oh no, that was Don Cheadle. I thought you were talking about the Bernie Mac scene where you're no, just like, this is 18 inches of steel. No, well, yeah, but I'm getting to that. Okay. <laughs> so Don Cheadle <laughs> says, you don't do the same gag twice, you do a different gag. And all within that same scene, you're seeing them recording themselves underneath the diamonds. You can't see me, but I'm doing finger quotes. Recording themselves for Terry to see them going, oh, it's too, it's too much. It's too many inches. We can't drill through that. Well, all the while they have a whole separate plan going on where Brad Pitt's on the roof with the ropes 
doing all that. So the whole point of that scene with them in the air vents was them just tricking Terry, which is exactly the same gag that they did in 12. You know what? This, I didn't catch this, but this just made me think too. Similar to 11, when they gave Matt Damon like a role that like he thought he was now the lead guy and then George Clooney shows up at the end anyway. They give him the uh, the seducing the Ellen Barkin Sponder, character. Right. Um, Sponder. Sponder. And it doesn't need to be successful. <laughs> he, in fact, ne- kind of needs to fail in order for it to work. Um, I do think we should get to the top. But before that, and the last thing I want to talk about before we actually start going through the movie, is Alan and I had a discussion at the end of Ocean's Eleven. I think I want to get your two opinion on this, your opinions on this. George Clooney or Brad Pitt? Who's, who's hotter? Didn't we discuss this already? In real life. Yeah, so Alan asked me this already. And I said, I have to pick George Clooney. And it's not because I don't love Brad Pitt as an actor. I think he's fantastic. But there's something about him. Can I say this? Is it weird? Yeah, sure. There's something about him that looks a lot like my dad. And so I can't. I mean, you're, I you're, your, your dad listens to this show, so. <laughs> I so I love you, dad. You look a little bit like Brad Pitt, but I can't, I can't be like, oh yeah, Brad Pitt is so hot. It's just creepy to me. because That's, looks that's so understandable. Like that's also like one of the biggest compliments your dad's probably gotten. I mean, I look like Brad Pitt. Like, come on. So, I'm not the only one who said that, so. Am I, am I allowed to just like go off and say Matt Damon? Like, with the nose or without the nose? It's with the nose. You know it's definitely with the nose. No. So actually, I think it depends. If Brad Pitt like stayed the this way forever, I'd have to go with him. But George Clooney just ages so gracefully and he really is just so charismatic that I'd have to choose him in the end. So you know what's interesting that you say that, Ashley? is because, and I know David knows this, and I know Taylor knows this, but the age difference between Brad Pitt and George Clooney is one and a half years. Mm. I mean, Brad still looks really- What? George yeah. Clooney is one and a half years older than Brad Pitt. No. Yep. No. Yep. That's why they made that whole joke, was it 12? Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, they did. 40? No, he's like, do I look 50? 50. 50. I mean, Brad Pitt still looks amazing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and this is just crazy. You've all went this way. Um, starting at the top of the movie, I, I do, like, one thing that this movie does that a little bit more than the others, but they all kind of do it, is they treat this just like any other job. Brad Pitt's in the middle of, middle of like, robbing a toy store, apparently. No, so I thought that at first, too, but it's the toy, oh, toy it's store next is to next the to bank. the bank because they cut a hole in the wall to get to. I love I love that in, mm-hmm. in a world where David thinks a toy store has just makes bank. Well it's, just, it didn't like, seem like it, the greatest of jobs. Listen, baby toys was it back in the day. Yeah. Um no, yeah. But, and he just walks away. At first when I first watched it I was like, oh you know, Ocean calls Rusty and Rusty just drops everything to go and do whatever job Ocean wants him to do because it's like the biggest it's a bigger job than a you know fucking bank but then thinking about it i was like oh no that's not why he drops it he drops it because one of his dudes got he got the bad news about um reuben yeah and that brings back the whole loyalty thing 
among them. That I, th- I honestly think regardless of why he had called, he was willing to drop those two guys in that job. Like he doesn't need the money. They were able to charter a jet out of there. So of course he's going to choose, you know, his friend over them. I think what this movie does really well is it uh, definitely makes us as the audience know that every member, like the core members, care about Ruben. Like obviously Rusty and Ocean, right? But you have those little scenes with Don Cheadle writing the letter. You have Ruben recalling Linus crying and like, you know, <laughs> Linus always coming in and checking on him. And then Yin being guilted into doing the the elevator stuff because of Ruben. Like there's tiny moments, even if it's like a second for each character to, in a way, you know, give their respect to their their comrade. Yeah. Uh, the the other thing too, right right after Brad Pitt leaves this job, which I once again I just think it's funny that I don't, I can't tell when you guys interrupted me because I thought a KB a, a Toy Story was getting robbed, but the fact that this is just like any other job where he's like, sorry guys, family emergency, like I have to take the rest of the day off. I think it's it just like it sets up the world of like con men and thievery as just like a job you apply for on LinkedIn, just like anything else. It's just like another profession. Um, but I also, I, I like that this movie was just like, there's no way we can come up with like a good explanation of why Julia Roberts and Catherine Zeta-Jones aren't in this. So we're just going to say off the top, like it's not their fight. So you're not going to see them. Like they're not in this movie. Right. I was gutted. I was gutted when I found out they weren't in this movie. I really wanted because 12 was Julia Roberts last time. I really wanted 13 to be Catherine Zeta-Jones. And it made sense. And neither of them are in this movie. I was so sad. But it also makes sense for her not to be in it. Because, I mean, with Julia Roberts, her character was never in this, like, life. And even with, you know, her one role, she was, like, barely able to, you know, play Julia Roberts in that movie. So it's understandable that she wouldn't be able to help with the con. And then Catherine Zeta-Jones, again, it makes sense too that she wouldn't be a part of this. You know, she lives in Europe and I don't, I'm assuming she's still working. I don't, it seems like she left that job at the end because she had like forged documents and. Oh yeah, that's true. um, The real world explanation on a quick internet search was that they both wanted more of a part in the movie and like the movie just couldn't accommodate that. And then also, apparently, there was like an onset feud with maybe Julie Roberts and Catherine Zeta-Jones. That's like barely looking that up. Well, that's surprising considering they were barely like in the same scenes. Were they? I don't, don't, yeah. I think maybe the poker scene at the end, but I don't even know if Julie Roberts was in that. They were in the museum. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but that was like, all right, so that one scene, right, is when they, the only time they interact. Yeah. Um, So... Where are we in the movie at this point? Because he just they, got called. I mean, yeah. I, I think we, we've talked about everything we, up until kind of the guys get together and decide what to do to Al Pacino. Well, I'm actually still a little bit confused. Why was Ruben trying to, you know, get in business with banks? Like he seemed to do pretty well even before 11. So then with that money they made in 11 and 13, I don't understand... 11 and 12 or 11 and 12. I don't understand what his motivation in going 
in business with he, banks. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to pull jobs anymore, right? Because he even said that, um, unlike Rusty, he didn't have to pull cons to keep his hotel alive. So it's, it just seemed like the next reasonable prospect for him to just make a bigger and better hotel, because that's what he loves to do is make casinos. There was also, at the very end of the movie, he said to, I think, Ocean, he said, who am I trying to be? Like, I bought this new house I that's not even me. I'm wearing these new clothes that aren't even me. I tried to get into this hotel that wasn't even me. What, like, I was trying to be something I wasn't. Oh, and that explains the scene where he pulls out his ruffled shirt. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he was just, it was, he was trying to, he had lost his casino with Terry Benedict in 11. So he's trying to get some of that back. And he thought, I can work with this guy that no one else can work with. I'll be smarter than him. He didn't just consider that the dude's just going to force me to sign over by threatening my life. Um, and then I, I think the next scene is when they decide to offer him the Billy Martin, which is just basically give him his share back uh, and you'll get a second chance, um, which is a baseball reference that none of the rest of you get, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm 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 still trying to figure out how giving the VUP eleven million dollars is called a uh, Susan B. Anthony. Oh well, very interesting. So it it's somewhat related to the fact that the Susan B. Anthony dollar, when it was printed, is the same size as a quarter. So a lot of people would accidentally stick it into like the slot of a, a telephone or what or you know some other thing where you're paying with quarters um instead of using it for like as a dollar because it's a susan b anthony dollars worth a dollar and but it was the same size as a quarter and so the whole thing about how them leaving the last coin needed on the machine for the person they wanted to win that was like the point of it or in the in the end he drops it for uh yeah the the vup that i guess we can skip around but i was actually like the dude that was with Saul when he was pretending to be the diamond guy that had like the, the, the hat. Oh, the Porter. Yeah. Was he, did he I, work for the hotel or did he work for Saul? I couldn't I figure think it out. They hired him to work for Saul because. No, he I thought kind he worked of for looked, the hotel. But who, I didn't, yeah, see, a so, I didn't see a single other person dressed oh, like no, that. All the bell hops. All the bell hops. Were they? Okay. Yeah. I, I turned it on. I'm like, why are they all dressed like Curious George? I don't understand. Well, see, I thought that was to go along with like his like British. Like I thought it was like, <laughs> like I thought maybe he was like Indian British or like South African British. I like, like, I like how he had like an, he was South African. In your mind, he was South African and he just had like a little, a little boy <laughs> with following him. Well, like if this movie was a lot older, it would make sense. <laughs> like, I mean, he no, had so for some reason, the bank casino all their bellhops are just like that. Which is but, weird because but, like they're all their other like themes are Asian themed. Right. And then on top of that, the that same bellhop was fucking rude to the VUP. Mm -hmm. Like super rude. And I was like, dude, he's still a guest. You still work here. Well, he apologized for hitting him, but then he like if some some asshole in a line's like, "Hey, why does he get special treatment?" Like, what are you supposed to say to that? 
I guess. He was just like, he was just like, oh, I don't, I'm sorry. Like, Especially when you have Sponder, who's like all of a sudden treating this person like a VIP. You want to impress Sponder. She's your boss. So it makes sense that he's like, oh, I got to like step on it and treat this VIP. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, he's just a, he's just a regular bellboy. And I also think just to wrap this whole part up, I do think, you know, Ocean is saying they have to offer this Billy Martin to Pacino, but you can tell that Ocean like also doesn't want him to accept it. He's just like following the rules. And like, as soon as he doesn't accept it, like the way he walks off is like, all right, it's fucking go time. Well, he even left his hard hat <laughs> thinking like he's still in the construction zone. That's not how it works. <laughs> he was too focused. And George Clooney, George Clooney doesn't wear hats. But I, what I also really liked about this movie is um, after he offered him the Billy, Billy Martin, he, there had to be like a six month jump because the hotel was, you know, mid construction. So the hotel six months later. Yeah. So the hotel would have to be finished um, by the time they can actually pull off the con, which on one hand is great because it gave them six months to prep. But then on the other hand, you hear that they couldn't actually pull full blueprints. So how much prep could they actually get done? Well, the only thing they needed the blueprints for was the diamonds. That's it. Which was kind of like, a, if we can do it, we can do it. If not, that's, true. that's the last like, of our problems. Well, and then the other thing they need to figure out, and I guess the next part is, and as Ashley was alluding to, the meeting with uh, Roman, where they go over all the details and you kind of get the flashbacks of, all the preparation they've done like they got a slot guy who's going to uh just trigger, basically a a do sex machina at the beginning to let you know like all right slots are taken care of we're not going to explain it ever again to you uh or deus ex machina and then um you get the the pit boss that steals uh the golden silverware and then you get the like uh i I do think one thing we can talk about later is the fact that Livingston is in charge of anything. <laughs> I, I find to be like a, a major plot hole that we'll get to towards the end. Um, but they did explain the slots. Yeah, they no, did. I'm saying they explain it. The tech guy. No, no, mm -hmm. no, they explain it, but I'm saying it's like a, it's a deus ex machina, like, but it just in the beginning, like they explain it, but then there's like, it never matters again. It's just like, hey, this is going to work. And then at the no, end of the movie, it works. It does matter. He's talking to him on the phone, giving him the trap door. No, that's Livingston he's talking to on the phone. No. No. I guarantee you that's Livingston's voice. No. Because no, he has to know the trap door, David. It's Livingston's voice. Who? Well, who set up the trap door? It I was swear the... it was his name. Dave? It was the kid. I swear yeah. it was Dave. I don't... I, I think it was Livingston's voice explaining it to him. Which... I mean, it doesn't matter, but my point is, it's just like, it's this huge, it's this major part of the whole thing. And they're just like, all right, we've already taken care of it. Like it, it this part's going to work. You know what I mean? It's, and it kind of goes along the lines of me saying earlier, like there aren't a lot of things that fail in this or that they correct very quickly. Yeah. Um, but the thing about Roman and I'm really glad they brought him in. Cause I, I liked his character in 12. I like Eddie Izzard. I feel like I've seen Eddie Izzard as a cameo in so many things. Um, just a funny British comedian. Uh, and, and I think they utilize him pretty well here, but it's kind of funny, right? How they introduce him in, in this one. Cause they're like, Hey, 
we need you to help with some tech stuff. It's like, all right, what do you need? He's like, well, we're to totally trying to bankrupt this casino. It's like, oh, okay, slots, right? You need help with the slots. And he's like, no, we got the slots. Oh, okay, blackjack, you need help with the black. No, we got that. Okay, so roulette. He's like, no, we got roulette. It's like, what, the, what do you need? And it's all to get to the Greco. Yeah, which, by the way, the only cool thing I found in looking up this movie was that that scene with Matt Damon in London where he's describing, it's London, but he's describing like he can't even figure out anything about this, but he thinks it's called the Greco. That was filmed while he was doing the third Bourne movie in London. And they just like sent a crew over to film this one shot so that they like could just take like advantage of him being there. We might as well. Nice. Um, and then I also like the little uh, jab that they were like, wait, Roman? Greco? And then Eddie Izzard is like, well, I see you've never been to an English boarding school. <laughs> right. But there's so many cool things like in that part. Like they're like, oh, we're going to have a shill at the expo to trick him into buying this game. And then they're like, well, make sure it's someone he hates. And then they set up later that he hates Terry. That like those two hate each other. And then, uh, you know, you need a magnetron that's going to be brought into the room. And they're like, you know, how is, you know, how they, they act like, okay, magnetron. And then they, they immediately move on to saying like, oh, well, you know, what natural disaster do we need? And so you're thinking like, oh, the natural disaster is somehow going to cause the machine because they just skipped over it so quickly. Like, okay, magnetron, that's how we'll do it. And then moved on to the next thing. You're like, all right, so the earthquake is what's going to buy them the three and a half minutes they need. But it's but it's not, and that's what you discover like at the end, and then watching and it. Again. I was even I was even telling Taylor watching this a second time. That's exactly what I was watching, ready to be set up for. And then you know, once that scene played out, I, I turned to her and I was like, I really thought the earthquake was the thing that caused the blackout, but that wasn't it at all. Yeah, it is like a huge Deus Ex Machina though for him to want the new Samsung cell phone just at the same time that all this is happening like if that didn't if that huge coincidence didn't happen then they wouldn't be able to get the magnetron well even with um i keep wanting to call him wang i don't remember what his no it's Wang. is that his yeah name? him him having bold with the, the well, samsung yeah guy? he just happens to have a connection to be able to get it but i like how sponder stole like basically was like yeah i got this for you because you know your best boss. And then he just rips her. the note up and he's like, you said you couldn't even get this for me. Um, one thing I, I, I find funny, and this is kind of, I was talking about, you know, the, the everything works out is Eddie Izzard is like, oh, I'll give you your hundred grand back right now because there's no way you can defeat the Greco unless you have a magnetron. Like, oh, a magnetron. Okay. They're like, we're done here. Like, well, that, we got this. That's not the only way they go um, and kind of like defeat the Greco. Yeah, the way they defeat the Greco is one of my favorite plot lines because, and it just proves again that they don't really care about the money, is they set it up so that somebody else wins it so the reaction is genuine. So actually, the Greco getting shut down wasn't even that necessary because they could still have won a lot of money from people winning on the slots the only using reason, that method. The only reason the Greco shutting down was necessary for those three and a half minutes is because they knew that they had to use that time on to lose on the roulette because they were playing on the roulette, but also to lose um, all that money in the casino. 
Yeah, they needed people to leave. Otherwise, they would just keep putting their money back into the casino. And they, they knew Terry, not Willie, they knew Willie would have shut down the bets if he caught wind of that. So well, that they knew that he had to be locked in that room. Well, they anyway. needed... Go ahead, Taylor. It wasn't the magnetron that made everybody leave. That's what the earthquake was for. Right. Well, so they, they, they needed the magnetron to go in the room, right? And at first, when I was rewatching, I was like, oh, the 30 million made him go into the room but it wasn't it was the initial earthquake there was an initial rumble i think the the 30 million thing was just like to show us kind of a funny scene but also like to show the way the 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 greco worked so that was more for like audience service of like this is how it would work and him looking at him like oh no that's real so then you have the earthquake which brings terry in right and he immediately gets a call no willie and that sorry banks yeah Terry is not involved. Willie well, he is, but not in this part. Yeah, so then he goes into the room, which then gives them their three and a half minutes, right? And the, the magnetron, he walks in with the magnetron and that shuts down the system. And they need the magnetron in those three and a half minutes because as soon as like the 30 million was won, Banks, Banks when, the magne- when the Greco stops working, is like, we need to shut all bets down. As soon as he starts seeing, like one guy bets 11, 12, and 13, and he wins, like, you know, there was like, what, 10 to 20 stacked $10,000 chips on, like, there's just these crazy bets going on. As soon as you see these crazy odds winning, he was going to shut things down. So they needed, they needed him to be locked up so that also, nothing could be shut down. Rust, Rusty and Ocean and Yen were on the roulettes. Because remember, they could, they could do the slots at a certain point. They could do the... Um, blackjacks because of the rigged machines but they needed someone to bet the certain numbers on the roulettes and it needed to be those three guys yeah and the greco would have picked up on those three guys so with the greco down they could get as much money the casino could lose so much money within those three and a half minutes no no right and i mean they needed people on they needed people on roulette they needed people on um what's the game where you throw dice black craps they needed people on craps they needed people like you know, so I mean, th- oh yeah, craps with their lighters, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. So with the uh, the snake eyes. So I mean, it like all of that. What, what <laughs> we're getting way out of order, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. But what I do love with that scene is all the like hundreds of thousands dollar numbers like flashing on the screen above people's heads of like all this math that is happening and like all these like all the money that's getting lost. But that did lead me, and we're way out of order, and we'll go back. But that did lead me to one thought. In Ocean's Eleven, they were talking about on a normal night, a casino clears, like, has $80 million worth of chips. On a weekend, it's 110. On fight night, it's $160 million these three casinos have. And every casino in Vegas has to have a dollar in the vault for every chip being played. How did they take away half a billion dollars from this casino on its grand opening? Well, they did have the sumo wrestling. I mean, fight, I, so it's just like it's so much more. But it's also how many years later, too. I guess, but it's just. But it's also from what I thought. Oh man, I'm pretty sure they explained this with Yin not wanting a credit line. Remember, because he was like, "No, he's spending. T- he wants to bet ten million dollars and not a penny more." And Spotter was suggesting that why don't we set up a, a credit line? in case you go over. So they could have set up some sort of credit line for the casino. 
right? Well, you need, but the, the point is they said in Ocean's Eleven that it's a law. Every, every dollar that's available to be won by a gambler has to be accounted for in the vault. The, 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 the casino has to be able to pay out in the scenario if they lost every chip. Yeah, but maybe they changed the laws because of that, of that casino getting robbed of all of that money. Into the trap that the world is changing because of the circumstances that happened in the in the previous two movies. You could. Why don't we just say that Willie Banks is super fucking rich and he had half a billion dollars in the vault underneath. Well, but also, I don't think everybody was able to cash out, anyways. Like. Yeah. No. Well, you just keep your chips and you cash them out later. Yeah. I think also um, an easier way that you could explain it away is that Banks was so confident and so pretentious that he really thought, this is how great my casino is going to do in one night. This is how many people I'm going to have there. This is how many chips we need on the floor. And if that law was still in place, then yeah, he'd have to have that much money in the vault. If he was that confident that he was going to have that many chips that that, Circulating? Re- that reminds me of how absolutely like pissed he was about the 30 million that lady won in the slots and greco was just like that's oh, it's genuine it's a legit win and he's like that that wasn't even him in the beginning that was like his his secondhand guy oh, yeah, you're right but he was like 30 well, million dollars on slots on the for opening night no way he's like yeah. well because slots aren't supposed to pay like you can't you know like slots don't pay out like that well um one explanation to my own question, I think, could be it's an opening night, it's a grand opening, and this casino was apparently built for whales. Like, it was built to cater to these guys that gamble and lose and gain, like, millions. So, I mean, that may be an explanation, but... Well, that's a that's a really good segue into going on how Ocean got the whales out of the out of the he's, pool. Out he's of the got game. contacts. Like, he said... He's always said he knows people and people like him more. Well, the, yeah, but they do talk about the Denny guy, who's the guy in Ocean's oh, yeah. 12 who sold out Ocean un, unknowingly. To the Night Fox. Right. Um, yeah. I don't even think that was selling out. Like, he was just bragging on that guy. Yeah, about his like, friend who yeah. $760 million. I, I mean, it, it was a mistake, but I think it was an honest mistake. Mm-hmm. As wow. honest as you can be talking about someone who stole $160 million. <laughs> It took me a little bit, too, to kind of understand that, okay, so he's willing to walk away, and he's like a huge whale, and then for some reason, all the other whales are are willing to walk out after him. Yeah, but I think that's one of those things where it's like, if you see a big guy move and you're like, okay, wait, something's got to be up. I got to get out of here, too. Well, I mean, he he says when he's talking to Clooney in the flashback, I've talked to all these guys, I've talked to the managers, I've talked to the secretaries. Like I've convinced them to walk. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting is he uh, he tells Banks as he's leaving, a very serious man told me to leave. And in the beginning, when Clooney comes to Banks, he Banks says to him, a lot of people I take very seriously told me to take you seriously, like and told me to have this meeting. And it's like, it doesn't even, it never connects with Banks. I mean, it's, you know, half a year ago. So why would it? But that's kind of a just an another easter egg it's a good one um ashley brought this up um do you want to talk about the the mags well i mean so we're we're not going in order we're just gonna all right take take over i think i know where you're going with it okay well so when i first saw that part 
my mind immediately went to like mags oh like for guns but then watching it again i was like oh he means like porn mags like magazines but that also shows how the movie's aged too just because who gets magazines anymore but especially porno magazines well i mean like, he's under the earth so he, the internet <laughs> connection is probably not great in 2007 if they so, even had smartphones like so that i don't was, think any of them did oh yeah that's right yeah Damn, well, that's so long ago the super exactly. new samsung phone i don't know <laughs> oh my gosh that phone was that's so i know um, I, so I actually, was that your whole point, Ashley? Because I thought you were going in a little bit of a different place with that. No, I just thought it was funny about like, just in general, the aging of the movie and like. So Basher asked for porno mags and he just calls them mags. He opens up the bag and he gets onto Linus about not having the mags in the thing. I thought that that was a, an Easter egg for when the Night Fox shows up on the roof, there's no mag in the gun. But then they'd have to be working together. No, no, no. But just like as a as a movie thing. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I I get it. That's yeah. cool. Okay. Just give me this one. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> not, like a nod. Like, not, not to actually. No, not thing, an hat. No, but there, there's no mag in the there's no magazines, there's no mag, there's no mag in the gun. Boom. So yeah. are you saying that if Linus had bought the porno mags, <laughs> that the Night Fox would have shot him on that roof? Could you imagine if that was the consequence? I don't know, but that's I, why he can't buy them. He's just too afraid. I did like that, you know, that they're like traditional, like genuine con men. Like they don't deal in like they're not mobsters, they're not gangsters. They don't deal with weapons and guns, like. Well, that was they're actual con men. Basher in Ocean's Eleven. It's like it's good to it's good to deal with proper thieves again. Oh yeah. Uh, what was the point you had that you think we skipped over? Oh, Livingston. I mentioned this earlier. How the heck did he get that job? I know he passed the, you know, lie detector test with flying colors. But, like, if I saw that guy coming in, like, how did he pass the, like, interview even? He sounds like he's going to take a shit. Like, <laughs> no. Or he just, like, is recovering from a stroke. Like, it's, I don't understand it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I don't. He doesn't. He shouldn't get hired. No. No. Uh, but like I said, that scene has stuck in my head for my entire adult life so far. Is that to go against a polygraph, all you got to do is take a thumbtack, put it at the bottom of your shoe, and just step on it every, every. Well, it's not, I thought it was electric, like currents or something. No, is it just literally a thumbtack? It's a tack. I think it, I think what it is, is you, he's supposed to step on the tack no matter what the question is, yes. so that his vitals will always oh, read the same. Like, and it's, it's a double-sided tape tack to the bottom of his shoe, so that when he steps in it, it doesn't just stick in his foot. He has room to lift and then put it back down on his foot for every but question. Then when he left, wouldn't it still be stuck to the floor? Yeah, or how gonna, did he even he's got walk hop in out. there? Yeah. <laughs> so that he doesn't step on it. Uh, as he walks out yeah that sucks he, he yeah, walks that, he walks on the back of his feet that really. whole area i mean they hired him despite his polygraph interview so who knows maybe they would hire him walking like a duck so this all leads to they have to they have to hire terry after the first machine breaks down and i love the oh this is the one that helped dig the channel and they're like didn't we have that one they're like this is the french one <laughs> um the french side and so they have to go superior. they have to bring in terry benedict which is is obviously needed to happen um 
And then he wants them to steal the diamonds, which this whole thing was going to be so completely easy. And now they, the rest of the movie, like a lot of the rest of the movie is them figuring out how to steal the diamonds, which they didn't have to. Like there's, I do want to get to the Mexico storyline, but like <laughs> the diamonds are the rest, like 90% of the rest of this is like, how do we get these fucking diamonds? Yeah, the, the, that was the heist because they had everything planned out to a T. And then, you know, you get the story about how there's like 10 different plans and Al Pacino kept firing people. But the part that there are two things from the trailer I remember. One is Al Pacino saying he has guys that can really hurt George Clooney and George Clooney saying they all like me more, which is at the very fucking end of the movie. So why was that in the trailer? And then two. That's a good oh, line. That's true. But two of oh, the nose plays. Okay. But seriously, though. The whole Mexico storyline was my favorite part of the whole movie, especially because in the beginning, I thought it was a part of the plan. And it turns out he was just really wanting to like liberate them. But in my notes, I kept waiting for something about the strike at the manufacturer (laughs) to connect to the plan. But the fact that it had nothing to do with the actual plan is hilarious. It just makes it so much better. And then his brother coming in. Yeah, first I love that like he starts talking about the AC and then he like, makes up this fake Mexican revolutionary that wouldn't have, wouldn't have dealt with this shit. And then they send his brother, who's just like, I love the next time you see Scott Kahn, he's making a Molotov cocktail. And like, <laughs> he's like, oh, well, as soon as management caves in, we'll be back in there. Yeah. Now, okay, so here, here's another great, like, how, you know, I love it when a plan comes together moment, is that that part where they're having trouble with the manufacturers because of of um of the brothers it just doesn't seem to bother ocean he's like yeah okay sure he's like oh yeah we're almost there we will he's like okay cool and then the other one is um is spotter needing access to the to the jewels and damon is like oh i'm in she's she's a cougar i'm totally in I and, read that maxim. <laughs> and their first like their first thing is like, oh no, we'll we'll get Rusty. We'll get Brad Pitt to do it because he's clearly the best looking one out, out of all of us. And then Damon is like, no, 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 she's already into me. Uh I'll do it. And then Wang laughs at him. But then can we talk about the fact that they drug her? Like oh, they on. essentially drug her. Because well, no one else believes in Rusty. Because <laughs> or, or no one else believes in Damon. Linus. Yeah. And no, but here's the thing, right? They're like, yeah, sure, Linus, you can do it. If you think you can do it, you can do it. And you're thinking, and for me, at least I was thinking, wow, you're really putting like a big responsibility on a guy you really don't have trust in doing this. And it's because they actually don't need it to work. And even if they did need it to work, they had the Gregory to back it up with. But honestly, like David said earlier, you don't need it to work. They needed mm-hmm. to stall her long enough. One, they need they, they did need parts of it to work. They needed to stall her long enough. They needed her to invite Linus into her room. So well, that into, he could into, the diamond, the diamond into the diamond room. Which right. that was pretty convenient that she just yes, happened to take him in yes, there. But then if the Gregory worked as well as it did, then I mean, they could have literally had Saul in there seducing. You keep calling it the Gregory. It's the drug. Gregory. What is it? The Grigory. Oh. Oh, sorry. Geez. I don't think it's the Gregory either. I don't think it's the- it is. They drugged him. Why don't we call it drugs? It's pheromone. They drugged her. 
Yeah, but the Gilroy. Gilroy. The Gilroy. Gilroy. I found that very quickly. I am very impressed with myself. Um, Definitely not the fucking Gregory. So a, a couple things. One, uh, my favorite payoff, like my favorite part of the Mexican story, is the payoff where Brad Pitt's like, "All right, well, they're they're requesting thirty six thousand, and they're like thirty six thousand two hundred seven point two million. And Brad Pitt's like, "No." 36, 36 total. And they're just like, oh. That's wow, okay. change. Okay. <laughs> like, it's it's like, it's such a common joke, but I just, I like, I, I think it's so. I also really love the, the wrapping of that story where Casey Affleck meets his twin brother in America and he's like, hang tough. Right. Now, one, I love the, I love the references to Damon's dad throughout this, like him wanting to talk to Ocean and Rusty and like them like putting their hands out knowing it's going to happen. And then him arguing about the nose and like, the nose isn't just a prop, like it works. But when you saw, when you first saw Damon's dad, how quickly did you realize it was Damon's dad? I didn't know specifically it was Damon's dad, but I knew mm. he was in on it. So I was confused on, was he an FBI agent was he the game that's what I was confused um, about the game legal guy he's and an FBI it turns agent. out the what he's an FBI agent oh no it turns out he's he's a con man that poses is, an FBI agent he is a he is a federal agent I believe with the FBI and they they confirm yeah, this they throughout because he's they call him a cop in the first one and then in this one, Linus, as he's talking to him, he's like, well, dad, you have the greatest cover ever. You never have to come up with anything ever again. He's an FBI agent that pulls cons. Yeah. He works for the Bureau. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for me, the first time we ever saw him was like actually saw his face was when Spotter calls him on the phone yeah. and she's like, hey, we have some characters here I'm not sure about. Um, that part, I didn't know that he was Linus's dad. It was the next time we saw him, which I think is when he's arresting Livingston. Livingston. That's when I realized that that was his dad. And I was like, yeah. okay, the same guy that she called was his So dad. is his mom also an actual FBI agent? I don't think so. She's not an FBI agent. I don't know. I, so that, she may work for... It's unclear whether that was a, a, a con or whether she works for the agency and used her ties to like get her son out. I think it was a con. I, I always took it as just being a con. Mm -hmm. what, now, one thing, so I knew the second he answered the phone because I know who that actor is. And I was like, that's too big of a part for it to not be the dad. Like when I immediately saw him, I was like, okay, that's the dad. In, in Ocean's Eleven, um, We've heard about the dad and we've even seen like his pull work in, in the, uh, the Ocean's Eleven's favor, but we don't see him, right? And then in 12, we see Linus's mom and we see how she helps. So in 13, for me, it took me off guard knowing, oh, we're going to reuse the dad and we're going to see him again. Or we're going to see him now. But we're going to reuse kind of the same thing they did in 11, using his connections to pull off the con. What I don't understand about this, and it's jumping a little bit ahead, I, I liked the dad being in, and I thought it was kind of a natural, like a natural progression of the movies. But what I don't understand is, you know Livingston's gonna get caught because you're, and 
you know Livingston's going to get caught because either you made it so Sponder got suspicious and called him or you found out that Damon's dad was called, right? So presumably you said, okay, who can we lose so that, you know, you save face as an FBI agent, but our plan can still go forward completely. And they chose Livingston. They also, in the beginning, know that Al Pacino is tapped into federal databases. How did you not consider that he was going to immediately run Livingston's prints, figure out his known associates, to the point that you now have to have this cartwheel done by Don Cheadle, and Don Cheadle walks into Al Pacino's office three seconds before the files completely load, and you have to have... uh, Casey Affleck changed the photos right before he looks at like you leave so much to chance and you knew Livingston was going to get pinched. Yeah. It makes no, it, it's, it's totally just like a movie thing. It makes no sense. Also the, the fact that the only way you could for Don Cheadle to pull a cartwheel is to have the evil Knievel wannabe to be distracted by two prostitutes. And then who knows two prostitutes. happens to know. Yeah, exactly. So I, I did actually read, I don't remember exactly where, that Livingston wasn't supposed to be arrested. Like that wasn't a part of Danny Ocean's plan, which is why they, they warned them to keep an eye out and like for Livingston. But I don't remember where I read Well, that. no, that is true that George Clooney says, hey, warn Livingston if he sees going that way. But then it immediately happens. And why wouldn't you tell Damon's dad, hey, like don't arrest Livingston. So here's what I think is that Livingston kind of sidestepped because he could not complete his mission because he's a failure. So he calls Roman Roman. and him and Roman separately decide, okay, the only way this is going to work is if my lame ass gets arrested and you come in and you put your machines out. So I don't think it was part of Ocean's plan. Livingston got himself arrested. That makes yeah, sense. Exactly. That's why yes. he smiled yeah. in the car. That's why in the yeah. car he yes. smiled. That's the only yeah. thing that makes sense to me. He did tell Roman to like, hey, can we keep this amongst ourselves? So it, that does make way more so sense. That almost completely Thank you. fucked to this yeah. up. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I watched yeah. it twice. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and it uh, wasn't a part. Look what, Look what happens when a plan comes together. Yeah. I don't look like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But that would explain why it wasn't a part of like Danny Ocean's plan for him to get arrested and why he said, you know, warn him. Um, Um, The the next thing is Yen waits until they've gotten the penthouse villa and are opening the the duct to be like, I can't do this. Yeah, but I think it was just that moment so we could get like, oh, he's going to be guilted into it because of of Ruben, and then it shows how Yin cares about Ruben, right? Yeah, but it I think it also shows how like they've made a ton of money, like they've come they've come a long way since eleven. So he's not working in like a circus anymore to make <laughs> money. He's literally pulling fake tricks for like you know millions, millions of dollars. That's CGI. So he's kind of like. A little bit out of the game, but also like, nah, like this ain't worth it. Well, and yeah. also too, and I brought this up when we all watched this, but the uh, the idea that he didn't do that one trick with the bullet train because it was CGI, and now he's climbing and dodging CGI elevators, <laughs> like in the movie, I think is pretty cool. But um, I, I don't know if this is done on purpose. I What I love about this trilogy is that after the first one, 
it makes you want to be hyper aware of the second and third one because you're like, okay, I'm not missing shit. So I'm thinking like, oh, does that sentence that Ocean says to Rusty like have a double meaning? Like, what does that really mean, right? So the only thing, and here's me probably looking too much into it, but I think Ocean's like, those weren't your legs. Meaning the thing that was CGI'd in the bullet train wasn't the bullet train, but it was Yen himself. And so when I you're watching even, I didn't Yen think in the elevator, I didn't even catch that. When you're watching, when you're yeah. watching Yen jumping in the elevator, is that a seed they're trying to implant into the audience's brain and be like, "Oh, we're looking at his legs." But yes. then it's like, "Oh, we're well, the CGI everything else except him for this." This that's that's smart. That's actually yeah, that, smart. They were trying to make Rusty look dumb because obviously, why would they CGI his legs and not the bullet train? No, but it was ocean. That's why I think it was it was trying to make the audience focus on his legs and then ignore the bad CGI for the elevators. <laughs> well, I think, I think <laughs> Ru- Rusty does do like he does he does have a lot of like dumb lines in this it it also is like except for when getting them the samsung phone he's like useless in this job well yeah i also like uh, like a little side note like i can't believe sponder was just like gonna kick him out of his villa like that's kind of rude to a guest who hasn't even spent the night yet to just be like yeah i need this for more important people so you got to get out of here yeah, for the I think for the she, VUP. No, no, no. When she's Sponder- in out for all the people that Ocean brings in, all the high roll. Oh yeah, I thought in. that was weird. I think because she was already suspicious of him. Well, and he wouldn't. He, she said he was rude, right? Like that was part of the reason. So, um, but also I do, he was rude for not opening a line of credit. Well, no, he was. He was just. He was just rude in that scene. Rude. But also, he didn't speak English. How did she know he was rude? But also but also. Rude if anyone knows anything about anything, you know that you can't own the airspace above property. <laughs> you either own the property and therefore you own the airspace, but you can't just own the airspace. That I was think, kinda... Well, that's US law. Yeah. I don't know. I think I don't know. that was the whole point. I don't point. know how China sells property. But I don't, I think- <laughs> It's not airspace. I think it they might. <laughs> I think it more so meant that like, that's why nobody knows who he is because he deals in illegal things like making people pay for airspace. Garrett, if you're listening to this, please tell me if you can buy airspace in China and not the, the actual ground property. Thank you. You try, you try building anything higher than a three stories in the Shangshong region, okay? <laughs> why, would you, why would you just make up some random Chinese person? It was actually pretty close. It was pretty um, close. It was pretty close. I, I do like, um, well, first of all, the... Uh, they have to get that guard out of the way so that they can get to the the roof. Um, is it the roof? I don't the know. Because it's yeah, the roof. they need access well, to well, the elevators. Well, they need access to the elevators to get. I don't know because Brad Pitt's also, huh? The helipad. Well, Brad Pitt says, "Well, that can also get me to the helipad." And you see Brad Pitt going to the helipad, but I'm I'm kind of blanking on it's what when, Ocean needed to get to the. It's when they were talking to Terry in the elevator shafts. Yeah, I guess it's not. It's not important to try and. It was literally to try and show him that. Oh, we can't drill through. Sorry. Yeah, yeah that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But the Oprah scene oh, and the, the Oprah first scene. of all, the Oprah scene in general is just amazing. And then the payoff at the end. Yeah. Uh, that like that part is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the the payoff. Well, I mean, really, both scenes were kind of unnecessary. Like. Terry gets his comeuppance and the whole extra addition of they make him donate the money and then he shows up on Oprah is completely 
unnecessary, but it's just a great moment. So here's, 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 I love Terry Benedict in this movie. I think he's one of my favorite characters in, in this film. And it's my favorite version of him in this movie where he, he, you can tell he wants to be on it. He wants to like be as cool as them. So he even has his little like lines in his head that he's already thinking of. And he's like, I was born ready. And Ocean is just having none of it, right? The most exaggerated eye roll I've ever seen. He's just finding this is absolutely ridiculous. He's like, oh my God, I hate this. Why do we need money from him? But we need it, whatever. For Ruben, right? But then at the end, to make him out as a philanthropist is must be like the biggest F you you could give to a guy who just wants to be badass all the time. Well, I actually, I think the Oprah thing is kind of to seal... One, I love, uh, I love uh, Terry Benedict's like, oh, you seem pretty happy about this. And he's like, well, sure, shit isn't sad. But by getting, by donating the 72 million and then getting him on Oprah, he's now like accepting the praise of being like a really good guy. Right. And so now it's like, he can't even like be mad at them because he's like, he's, he sort of gained. And this was like, Ocean got one yeah. more over on him. But now, like, he's like, oh, wow, like, this is, I actually am happy about yeah, this. Yeah, he's benefiting it from it still. So. He, he can never, they, they made him lose $72 million. But because of that, he can never go back to the person where he goes around breaking people's legs. Right. Because the spotlight is so much on him now. And he's known as this, like, really great guy. And I feel like he, he was probably known as a casino owner before, but not, I mean, do you know the names of, cause are there famous casino owners? No, right? I don't know any of them. But his name is such in the spotlight now that I feel like, you know, like you're right. Like it's, it's, and that's why Ocean is like the best con man. He thinks 20, 30, 50 moves ahead. He's like, yeah, if I didn't do this, if I didn't donate to charity, if I kept the 72 million amongst myself or split it against, you know, my 11 team, you can always come for us. And he ensured that he could never come for them because not only is the spotlight on him, but the the attention that Terry always crave is now on him. Well, one thing too is I think uh, Andy Garcia's acting in the scene where they're tricking Pacino is pretty amazing in that it's like kind of bad acting, mm-hmm. but it's purposely bad acting. And like, it's so like subtly bad, like, but it's just like, it's just like right pitch perfect. And it, it made me think one, Pacino is really falling for like everything. But then that did also make me think the scene where he sees Pacino sees Clooney and all the whales. And he's like, you're rubbing it in my face. That, that is him thinking, okay, this is the revenge. Is yes. He stole my whales and now I have to pay him 20% every night of their losses. Definitely, yes. And so that at least makes it a little more believable that he's like, all right, well, that's the comeuppance. And so now I'm not looking for this other stuff. But a lot of the other stuff had already happened. But I think it at least is some like plausible deniability for the movie as to why he's not catching, he's not catching the rest of it. Yeah. Now, I am me- also curious if, did they get, like, did they attack go to benedict for money because they couldn't they really couldn't get it from anywhere else or was it kind of like to go ahead and let him think you know he's tricking them by using what's his name? 
Yeah, by using the night, like, did they really need to use him for money, or was it just kind of like a let's bring him on, let him think, you know, he's got one on us? What's interesting is because they they were watching the Night Fox before they brought him on, right? Mm -hmm. So it makes you wonder: Did they know that he was in Benedict's pocket when they were watching him? And if they did, is that why they brought him on? But the only reason I would say no is because Clooney and Brad Pitt are both like, I really, like genuinely look like, and they were just talking amongst themselves. And they were like, I really don't want it to come to this. I really don't want to bring him on, but it looks like we have to. Yeah. They seem like genuinely like in a pinch to do it. So. I wanted to say that the fact that in this movie, even though they're reluctant, the fact that they even bring Terry on in the first place kind of proves what I had said about 12, that he's not really that menacing of a villain in 12. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, I never really believed that he was actually going to carry through with any of his threats because we had no proof of that. And then in this movie, they're just like, well, yep, comes to this. I guess we have to team up with this guy. Like, sorry, I would not be teaming up with somebody that I really believed at one point was going to murder me and everyone I love. Like, but, I think but- that kind of confirms what I was saying. But also, we learned in 11 that he's worth, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars. And if you think about how much money he lost in um, in 11, how much money he lost in 12, and how much money he donated slash lost in, in... He gained in 12. Okay, he gained in 12, but then he lost 72 in 13. You know, it's like, like George Clooney said, it sure ain't shit ain't sad because... He has so much money, it doesn't matter for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did get the money back in the first one from insurance, so he didn't yeah, even yeah, lose. Yeah, he didn't lose shit in the first yeah. one, actually. I guess you're right. Yeah. It really so is bad. He's up like $120 million No, even if you even want to look at it that way, he could use the $72 million in donations towards his taxes. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, right. honestly, <laughs> like, the whole, them being villains, like, because even when, you know, they're breaking legs and stuff like that, obviously it's hired hands. So I really don't, I think it kind of works out that, you know, yeah, Terry was smart in that he was able to kind of guess what was going on. And he knew, you know, who was like doing one over on him in the hotels and the casinos and stuff like that. But Banks, again, he wasn't smart in that sense. Like, he was just really good at business and hiring people to do dirty work for him, but he couldn't think in the way, you know, that the con men could. Like, where Terry Benedict was a little bit better at that. Like, Banks just couldn't see all that. He, again, was just kind of like, he saw him doing something obvious, like taking the whales, and was like, oh yeah, that's the... Well, and that that kind of, real quick, that kind of plays in with, he had to get the best technology for his security, whereas Terry Benedict had like a more hands-on role Mm-hmm. of like with the security of, of of like watching the cameras and stuff the other thing is that this is huge for him this is a huge night for him mm-hmm. you know it's their opening night and he has all, so many things to worry about so many things to think about that he's kind of in like alert mode so he's not noticing these other things because he's just in like problem fixing mode and i think that also goes back to his ego again is that he was so focused on everything looking good and making him look good that he did miss a lot of things because he was so focused on 
Mm-hmm. Well, and they kind of showed in the beginning how detail oriented he was. Like he, you know, he got marble from Italy. He was very like all just the fine tuned things, but he didn't really look at the big picture really. Yeah. The also the line that kind of puts Terry Benedict as kind of like equal, you know, two sides of the of the same coin for Ocean is at the end of the movie, he's like, how did you know I was going to pull, pull that with the Night Fox on the roof? And uh, Ocean's like, well, I'm me and you're you. And that's, you know, that's the way it is. But he could never, you know, compare himself with Willie Banks because like you guys said, it's just not there. It's not in the same league. But Andy Garcia's character is conniving, is thinking ahead, just can't be ocean in it um what i what i really liked about this one um is that there's a ton of of cogs in motion for this con everyone plays like this pretty elaborate part and my favorite aspect of this whole thing like my one specific favorite aspect is saul pretending to be the five diamonds guy and can someone explain to me why was it necessary for him to pinch Willie Banks on the ass? I had this. This is my next question. I was question. just reading. This is my next question. <laughs> okay. So I think he was trying to like maybe trick him into thinking he was just a gay, you know, patron, and like he just enjoyed all the attention he was getting from the owner of the hotel. Like maybe he was just trying to mess with him. Like <laughs> I think he was just fucking with him. It's yeah. just like we've already like this is already kind of over. Like I've, we, you've already lost the five diamond award. So like my my part of this is kind of over, That's but it, it also yeah I just didn't get it. I so get so it. it was really funny because on our second time watching it, he pinches his his ass. <laughs> Willie Banks Al Pacino turns around like completely bug eyed, and, and, and the like, camera like the camera like pans in on his face like Taylor, like he's been assaulted. Looked down, she looked down at her phone for five seconds and go she goes wait what why is Al Pacino freaking out right now? <laughs> and I was like I was like. You you didn't see that, and she's like, "What? No, what? What we is had it? To rewind it. What is it?" And so we rewinded it, and she's like, "Did he just punch his ass?" So the first time we watched it, I thought he slipped something into his pocket, and it never paid off, and I didn't even realize it because it was so small. So I wasn't even thinking about it. And then this this time, I was like, "Wait, he he just pinches." I think the reason that he did it is because, um, like he he had him in the palm of his hand the whole time. He right. thought that he mm-hmm. was the, the five diamonds guy. So anything he wanted, he got. And so <laughs> he knew that Al Pacino couldn't do anything. He could pinch his ass, make a whole like to do. And he wasn't going to turn around and be like, hey, buddy. You know, he turned around and was like, oh, shit. I can't say anything to this guy. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Taylor just coming with like the explanations back well, to back. That, no, that, was, right. that is not good. Only, not only would he probably like pop off of someone if, they, if anyone else did that, but his ego would want to retaliate and he it's the only person he he couldn't, he couldn't. he'd want to pitch Saul's ass <laughs> Just kick, kick an old man's ass you know what so this this makes me like think there are so many like little funny moments in the end of this uh Turk and Virgil running through the hotel like at a breakneck speed <laughs> <laughs> to then kick the guy out. And I just love Scott Conn just like 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, hey, buddy. 
but he also has to face away. Fifty minutes. He also has to face away because he's seen him as a waiter already. Yeah. So oh, he's like, that's why. Yeah. yeah oh. He's facing backwards. Oh my god! I didn't you think didn't think about that. Oh my I god! About that. I got it actually. I thought, I, got it was, it. I thought it was just like a mind fuck. Like good. Yeah. Mind. One's gonna stare at him, and one's staring away. No, they could be. <laughs> I just, that's so funny. They're just like, we. you guys have to handle all the roles. It doesn't matter that they've seen you already. Just do it. No, but, but what's, so, what's so funny about the two, the two brothers throughout all three films is that they consistently play the bellhop, the waiters, the technicians, or like just like the little, the little guys. I think it's because they're, yeah, they're like, they're not great at one specific thing, but they're really good at doing all of those little things. I really loved, as a person who does Photoshop a lot and loves Photoshop and a, a, a connoisseur of Photoshop, if I could say, he, the, the scene where they're Photoshopping everyone's face is such a joy for me to watch and just at s such ridiculous speeds that are not possible for him to be like, small nose, big hair, move, move face. Like, it's well, the other thing, do it, he's... He's doing it just by clicking, but like you know what I mean, like he's very proficient. He doesn't need a mouse. He's just so proficient with the keyboard. Yeah, the short keys. What what I love is as as Don Cheadle's like, hey, we need someone to change the photos. Scott Kahn keeps saying, I can do it, I can do it, and then they're like, all right, Virgil, you do it. <laughs> and then like I love when he's like, you know what, you did a really great job on that. And he's like, I know. That's why they chose me to do it and not you. <laughs> but before that too, he's, he's like. He's like, hey, don't change me too much. He's like, what are you talking about? You're a midget in 24, you're a midget in 34 states. And he's like, yeah, but I'm an animal in the other 34. He's like 24. 22? 26? Yeah, but I love that they still have that brother interaction throughout all three too. Like, yeah, they're a little bit comic, you know, comic relief, but it works. Um, And then I, I, I do love... I love the Matt Damon line of when the earthquake happens and she's like, what was that? And he's like, you felt it too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, okay. So I got to talk about, so real quick, wrapping up on, on Saul pretending to be the five diamonds guy, their interaction where he's like, Oh, this is quite unorthodox. I don't usually speak to the hotel manager. Mm -hmm. it's like, and, and in my book, this hotel has aces and Al Pacino's like ace of diamonds, I hope. And he's like, Oh yes, jolly good. I see what you did there. <laughs> I love their whole innuendo interaction. And mm -hmm. I don't know if they did this on, I mean, the script's great. So they probably did do this on purpose. If he wasn't from the Five Diamonds, all the innuendos are still casino innuendos. Yeah. So right. not once are they actually like, is he ever blatantly admitting that he's from the Five Diamonds? Mm -mm. This is pure, and this is where I think you're really fucking with Willie Banks, is because this is all based on pure assumption from what Spotter said. Well, well she did see that fake, you she know. Did. She did, but yeah. yeah. she never did. No. Um, right, no, yeah, I, I agree that uh, he drops the book, but then that's, from Banks's perspective, he's completely just trusted her. Mm -hmm. And the other guy, the actual Five Diamonds guy, like goes to great lengths to never reveal himself, which is what he should be doing, right? Because he's like, He's like, at the end, he says, thank you for kicking me out. And it would totally be the point of saying, like, I'm the fucking five diamonds guy. Look at my face. But he's, such but he's a like, he's like, no. And it, even he's a professional, even to the point of when he's starting to grade the room, he's grading it. And he, I think he's clearly probably grading it poorly. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. he gets the cleanliness. 
And instead of just being pissed, he's like, all right, well, now I got to check the cleanliness mm-hmm. because maybe it's clean. And then he finds, like, the bugs. God. Yeah, I don't understand why he stayed. Like, it's I his get, job. Yeah, but he finished everything on the list. Like, I don't understand. What was the point? Like, did he have to grade checking out? Can't you just check out early? I wonder if at least to have one night's sleep so you can say how your night's sleep was. Yeah, but it's also, in a dangerous condition. Yeah but, yeah, but also they were like, hey, we're kicking you out of, of the room. And he just like, he was like, no, no, I'm my, my checkout time is not, I'm not ready. I'm like, why wouldn't you be etching at the, at the, like, oh my, hey, even if he told his boss, right? He's like, oh, you know what? They kicked me out of the room. It's like, just get the hell out of there. Yeah. Right? Well, it's not that he was, it wasn't checkout time. It's that he physically was unable, like he said, legally, you have to let me stay past checkout because I'm unwell. Well, no, he said, he said under Nevada law, you can't kick a person out. And he's like, and they're like, well, actually under Nevada law, you're a health hazard. So 15 minutes, get out. And so I think we talked all about like the, the earthquake that happened and that getting banks in the room and his magnetron phone and yada, yada, yada. One thing we haven't talked about yet is when Damon is up with uh, Sponder and the dad shows up. (laughs) And if you didn't know, and I guess you guys haven't told me this yet, but if you didn't know it was the dad from earlier, when he doesn't give Linus's actual name, I feel like that is a dead giveaway mm-hmm. or like that has to be his dad. Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. But again, I knew he was working with them. I just didn't know. Well, I think I might've guessed by then it was the dad. Yeah, so you're right. If if him not giving Linus's real name away isn't a dead giveaway that he's the dad or at least working with ocean um and the ocean team <laughs> the fa- and once you realize he's his father it's even funnier but the way he rips off his nose <laughs> and is like first of all only like a couple people outside of the ocean team knew it was a fake nose and second of all he he had conversations with about if the nose worked. Mm-hmm. And it's his father, and he knows how much pain he would be in. And it just it amplifies how funny it is once you realize it's his dad who just put him through that like physical pain. And then the way he gives him the nose back in the elevator is just like a big like fuck you, son. Well, he even says to him, I'm so happy your mother wasn't here to see this. <laughs> I thought he was joking about him with Sponder yeah, and yeah, over in down. front of him oh. with his pants down. <laughs> well, but I think though I think he was like disappointed because they're all like they're all con, con people. Yeah. So he was like I, and he because right after that Matt Damon says something about the nose. He's yeah. like, Oh, you just the, the nose worked. <laughs> yeah. So either so it just works wanna, on so many levels. Did anyone think when he was slapping those what we found out were like explosives on the bottom of the five diamond case. Anyone else think those were cameras? No, no. No, I thought they were explosives. That's what I, was I like, thought they and were. And I was like, why is he blowing it up with her in the room? Like, it doesn't make sense. Well, I knew they weren't going to set it off when she was in the room. But right. I, I assumed they were explosives. Yeah. So you did? I thought they were cameras. I thought it was something that would shatter the glass. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, some type of... But but it's just, like, it had to be something that would be so obvious if she was in the room that it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Because because when his dad was like, hey, he would have switched those diamonds with these, and then you're supposed to think that he already did the switch. Now, I think it's so... I was about to bring this up. It's so obvious that the switch couldn't have happened. Right? Yeah. 
But I guess because everything that, that- Unless they had just later on done like a flashback of how it did happen. I well, guess. hold on. Because everything that Andy Garcia is hearing is being relayed to the Night Fox. That's why he knows to tell the Night Fox to go to the roof, right? And they had turned off all the cameras because she said, oh, we probably want to turn off the cameras for this next part. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's Unless no- they want to watch a playback. And that, right. And that's how Andy was seeing the Terry. I hate when you guys do Andy Garcia. How Terry was watching them in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. When they turn off the cameras, all they were listening to is the audio. So on his perspective, yeah, you're right, David. She never passed out. She never lost consciousness. So he couldn't have had time of, of him doing that. We know but that. Also, we know that. Yeah. Thought, but if you were just listening to it and you were, you were Terry Benedict, you might think that there was a way he could have done it well but, and, and that's also because afterwards ocean asks like did you make the switch and they're like of course we made the switch right J- just for just so that they because they knew the night fox was waiting mm-hmm. um also did you like the night fox's costume because i know you mentioned <laughs> it the first time but i didn't notice it then and then second time um, watching it i was like Oh shit! He matches the stained glass. I mentioned that at when we watched it the first. Right, time. I didn't know that. When, when I didn't he was away from the building, when he was away from the building, it was it was like okay, yeah, he wore. It. But if you look at the wide at shot, the wide and shot, find him, it's so funny. Uh huh. Yeah, I pointed that out when we were watching it because I noticed it immediately because I thought it was so funny. I, I love his reaction too when the night fox sees the diamonds like being flown over, and he just like. Oh, what the f- really? And like pulls them out. And he's like, oh my god. Yeah, he starts cursing in French, and I turn it on. I go, what is he saying? What? So he just says like, what would be equivalent to us trailing off in like a like a frustrated curse? So he's like, oh, those little fuckers or something, right? Shitters or something. But he he breaks it up. Shit. <laughs> but yeah, he's like, oh, those little, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but the best reaction to the diamonds flying over is definitely Al Pacino looking up and he's like, my diamonds. <laughs> well, especially because those aren't even like the ones he earned. Like those are the ones he personally bought, assuming he was going to win. And also there no, were- No, those, the those are the ones he earned and bought. They were all in that case. They were all in there? Well, no, the board di- and the diamonds were all in that case. The ones he bought and so, so Taylor- We was, had a little debate about Taylor this. was confused about this too. So when you win the, this is in their world, right? When you win the five diamond award, you get five diamonds. Yeah. It's on a plaque. No, no, the necklaces. No, you don't. He bought those for his wife. That's what yeah. I, he, he bought, bought the necklace. He wins, he buys an equivalent necklace for his wife. And the diamonds match the diamonds on the plaque, the right. award. Are the diamonds on the plaque actual diamonds? They're they, not worth. They're not worth fifty million. Yeah, a I piece. mean, they might be real diamonds, but I don't think they're like as nice. Because he oh, said, so my, he said all the diamond necklaces are worth like two hundred fifty million total, which means each necklace is worth fifty, and each diamond is worth ten. There's no way that this award is handing out something worth that much. Which, by the way, this is a real award that people win. Okay. So, so I misunderstood that. So, so when he wins a, a five diamond award, he buys a five diamond necklace for his wife. For his wife. She, she doesn't get to keep it. He just keeps them all in this case. Yeah, what is that about? He's like, these are for you, but I'm going to keep them at my office. Maybe he's like, he's like, you know, Tiffany's or something where he gives them to her on loan for special events. And oh my God. Like have a guard and be watched. I'm not letting anyone wear a $50 million <laughs> necklace. To be fair, Never. I wouldn't want to. Like, 
I'm gonna get robbed. Yeah. <laughs> not, um, but so going back to like after finding out that he is the dad, my first question to David was why didn't he working for the FBI do something to like construe the known associates to Livingston? You mean like change them? Yeah, like whether he just removed any known associates or yeah, physically change their appearances, do some, you know, tapping away at the keyboard to to physically change their appearance. That's the, a good the, the, the only thing I had for that is, and this is something we talked about in um, The Departed when we did that, but like, because he's a real FBI agent, like he can't blow his cover. So he can't do certain things that are going to like, lose him his job or put him in jail like he has to kind of toe the line mm. and so like going into the database is something that could easily get him caught i am curious how he let livingston go because he has other people with him but i think that's something you could explain away like oh we we don't have the evidence you know the machines were whatever mm -hmm. yeah they weren't actually tampered with and i think too also they gave him like such a like yeah he was committing fraud but at least it wasn't like a huge like crime that they gave him david did you find this one as funny as the um as the 12th one because we did say that the 12th one was probably like the the one with that most humor i think 12 and 13 are both funnier than 11 i think it's kind of close um but i think there's a i think there's a lot of comedy in both so i, I don't picking between the two i'm not sure so in the last episode, Alan had asked me if I thought that the funny moments took away from the serious parts of the movie. And I had said, I felt like the humor had its own moment that was kind of set apart from the rest of the plot where you could just enjoy it, which if I had watched it a second time, I would not have said that. <laughs> and I realized later that the parts, all the parts that I missed that I was like, oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, I didn't catch that. All those hints that I missed of what was going on, they hid those in the humor. Mm -hmm. And the whole time I was thinking, oh, this is a nice little funny moment that's kind of aside from everything else. But no, they were purposefully hiding hints behind the humor, mm -hmm. like the scene where they're sitting in the hotel room and they're drinking and, and the wine's going everywhere that they don't give a shit. And you're like, why don't they give a shit? That's That was the hint was hidden behind the humor of them giving, like, you're not thinking, why don't they give a shit? You're thinking this is hilarious. And that pretty much everything else in the movie that was like a funny scene was a hint to something else, but you're not concentrated on that because you're just enjoying the humor. That's yeah. true. And they I feel like in this movie, the humor was, it wasn't hiding anything. It wasn't as complimentary. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it was more, it was a little bit more of just like little gags here and there, like with the brothers especially. But I think that's what made the first one and the second one so smart. Like, it wasn't just the actual heists. It was the fact that they, like, were very well, like, hiding the little, you know, mm -hmm. teasers here and there amongst the humor. Well, for 12, right, it was like we're sitting there as the audience waiting for the heist to begin. Mm -hmm. And then it's over before we even, like, get a chance to, like, appreciate it as much as we did in 11 but then through flashback you find out well that's because that was it was it was done way you know at the very beginning of the film and then then we you know got to appreciate it through flashback this one 
was kind of like a, a mix between the two, right? We got to see the actual con play out, but we also got the twist at the end that we wanted. Yeah, they did still use the humor, like when they were talking about, you know, the reviewer winning the money in the end, like, and they use that as like a comedic moment, but still alluding to how it's going to end. Um, so they still did that a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I think when you look at all three of these, that it's obvious that like 11 is the most well-constructed movie to me. I think 12 is still very well-constructed, very smart. And like, like we talked about, there's a lot of things you could miss. I think 13 is not as well. There are some hidden things here and there. And as we talked about, definitely not as many. Mm-hmm. But I think that doesn't detract from it being, to me, just as enjoyable. Like, I don't have one of these where I'm like, I think 13 may be a little lesser, but I don't have one where I'm like, I could just tell you me like, oh, that one sucks. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't Godfather 3 that we're talking about. I think these are all like fairly equal in how much I enjoyed them. But I think you could say that the first two are probably a little like smarter and better put together, which, which is funny because we talked about how 12 was like a, a script that like had to be rewritten just to like for the purposes of that movie. Yeah. Well, so, and I think it's kind of like, so earlier Alon kind of said that he was trying to look for things in everything they said and everything they did. And I think they were smart about that where in the first one, you weren't necessarily looking for every little thing to try and figure out the heist. But then in the second one you were, so they were like, okay, we have to change how we go about the heist. We can't, people are going to be looking for the heist. So they couldn't just, you know, do it and let you figure it out. So that's why they had that twist at the end where it's like, just kidding, we already did the heist. You guys were looking for nothing. And then this, you know, third one, it was a little bit different where they were just like, we're just going to lay out the whole heist in the beginning for you because you're going to be looking for it the whole time. And as Basher said, you can't do the old thing. You got to do the next thing. Speaking of Basher, how did you guys feel about American Don Cheadle? (laughs) And I mean, it's such a forced accent. Well, I like how he slowly lost the accent throughout the movie. <laughs> it was a much, it was a much better accent than the movie. Yeah, it, it feels like he got a voice coach for this one. Like he got a lot of shit for the first two minutes. Oh, yeah. he, no, he did. <laughs> Which is understandable. I wonder who he got the shit from, us or the Brits. I don't know. We probably, no. I, I started thought it was good. David and I did Ocean's Eleven. We brought Taylor on to do Ocean's Twelve. And we discussed that the 12th one was Julia Roberts, Tess, right? So we brought Ashley on to do Ocean's 13. And I think we can all agree that 13th was Terry Benedict. I no. thought it was, no, I thought it was Roman and the dad. That's what I said, Roman and Linus's dad. No, mm-hmm. because you can't count. Ruben. Ruben is out of commission for the whole thing. So who's the he, third guy? Terry. He Benedict. came in in the end, though. Ruben counts. No. Me. You have yeah. to count Terry. Wait, wait, wait. So you're counting, you're not counting Ruben. You're counting all three. Yes. Okay. Well, I count Ruben. I don't think the dad counts because I don't think the mom counted in the last one. The dad came in at a very kind of tiny role. Yeah. And if you look, if you look at, he if you look at the Ocean's 13 uh, movie uh, DVD cover poster, there's 12 people on it, and Terry Benedict is one of them. Thank you. Um, so, and then I think if you're going to choose between Roman and the dad, I think it has to be Roman, because Roman was so, more, so, so much more integral. Okay, to the... so I was 
debating this with Alon earlier, and I was saying that maybe Debbie's hat should be thrown in the ring because she did have a pretty big role. She had a pretty, like, she almost did as much she carried stuff. them. She, she almost did. did as much stuff for them as Frank did, almost. So okay. I thought her name should be thrown in the ring, but then Alon looked something up. So Go ahead. I looked something up, and I think this, and with this information I'm giving you guys, I think all four of us can settle who is, no. who's the 13th here. So it states that an Oceans member is someone brought in as a full member of the con, not just someone with one specific job and no claim to the loot. Like, for example, Bruiser, right? He had one specific job and he was paid off or like anyone else that was paid off. It needs to be someone who, and so they give examples of who it can't be, like Debbie at the front desk in 13, Matsui in 12, or Linus's mom in 12. It can't be those because they're not brought into the full con. So it has to be people who are aware of the, of the full aspect of the con. And that's why I think Terry doesn't count. Yeah, Linus is not the entire thing, but Linus's dad did. Mm-hmm. Linus's yeah. dad doesn't know the entire thing. He yes, pretty he much did. did. He was Linus talking to Linus the entire time. But Terry, they have to keep him in the I dark. That's part of the whole con. I can 100 get mm-hmm. 100% get behind Roman because I feel like Roman was yeah. there from the Taylor, I agree with you. It's Linus' dad. Mm-hmm. But it's freaking Terry Benedict. It is. No. Is that of Ruben? Yes. Ruben's no. Okay. Ruben is the whole uh, reason that they're okay, doing fine. this. Listen, if you want to get And he comes back in. No, yeah, Ruben, Ruben, the, the 11 are incontrovertible. Yep. Yep. Those 11 are the 11. Mm-hmm. We are talking about two slots that are open here. There's not three slots open. Ruben is part of the 11. Fine. If we're talking about two slots, then it's Terry Benedict and Roman. Yes, I agree. So but Terry doesn't know the full con. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's Terry. Even, Linus's dad knows even That's less. That's not true. He knows about the nose. Like when they were That's talking. That's the nose plays. Yeah, but no, they actually went to him for advice about things and they knew he was going to be brought in. No, they don't Linus's go to him for advice. He doesn't have any claim to the loot, which was one of the prerequisites. Yeah. I mean, Roman's going to get, well, Roman gets paid. Terry Benedict's got paid but double. Not the full. No, he got paid what he wanted to get. So here's the, here's the thing where we can, he, I mean, if you want to look at it as payment, I don't think Linus's dad gets paid at all. Yeah. Um, Roman gets 100 grand. That's it. Linus's dad only gets brought in because of Sponder. He, wouldn't, he would not have been a part of this if she did not call. So there's basically only 11. Yeah. Yeah, I think honestly, I just I think maybe we'll just leave it at this. Ocean's eleven, it's the original eleven, and then Ocean's twelve, it's the second time they're pulling a heist all together, and then Ocean's thirteen is the third time they're all pulling a heist together. No, no, Ocean's twelve what, is no, what is this? Some what sort of mean? like this is some sort oh, of are you guys are wrong, but like I don't no. know. You're on to something because Tess didn't have any claim to the loot either. See? And she wasn't in on the entirety of the plan. She was only website. What website was Alon reading before? Like, what was this? Like, that can't be (laughs) oceans12facts.com. Yeah, oceanswiki (laughs) fandom. Okay, first of all, it's it's ocean13facts.org. Okay, dot org. Dot org. Okay, (laughs) unquestionable. No, actually, you know what it is? It honestly, it's a uh, Cora. We can't see that. Cora. It was Ask Jeeves unavailable. Was Yahoo Answers down? Listen, on 12, it's obviously the original 11. 
plus Tess. On 13, it's obviously the original 11 plus Roman. Plus, debating between Linus's dad and, and Terry Benedict, I think we can just agree to disagree. All right, guys, thank you for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Taylor. I'm Ashley. And this is David. And, and I, I finally, finally watched Ocean 13. 13.